Hello, and welcome to the Business of Authority. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And today we're going to talk about some practical examples of leverage from our own business. Yes. Thank you, Todd Tressador. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so in a recent episode, we talked to Todd Tressador from FinancialMentor.com. We spent pretty much the whole episode talking about uh, different examples of leverage and what the concept of leverage was and how it's basically the solution to breaking through that ceiling that people tend to get to where they're like, oh, there's, you know, I'm, I've maxed out, I'm stuck, there's nothing I can do. And he's like, the answer is always leverage. There's some, you know, one of six or seven things that rough categories that you can look at to get back your time or money or increase the impact or outcomes of the actions that you're taking so that you can grow uh, geometrically instead of mathematically or linear in a linear way. Before the interview, I hadn't read the book, but now I have uh, read about half of it, and I'm absolutely loving it. I so, knew you would. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really good. It's wild because it feels like a more complete framework of, of, but a few of the things that I've been doing for a long time slot into it. So, like the things he mentioned that there's you know different kinds of leverage, and people are better at some than others, and the ones that I'm naturally attracted to are the ones I tend to talk about all the time. And I really love having this framework of a few other ones because when I'm working with students for whom the things that work for me don't work as great, it's still going to be leverage because that's, I mean, that's like ditching hourly. That's, that, that's all about leverage. And, and having a few other ones that maybe I'm not so great at, but that other people might be uh, to explore is really exciting. So I'm looking forward to continuing that book and finishing it. Well, let's see. Where do we start here? Do you want to start with couponing? <laughs> we had a long pre-show chat about coupons. We did. Well, and, and it came up because Todd used an example in the book about trying to cut expenses as your way to success. And I've always said that, you know, for myself and my clients, you know, yes, you want to keep your overhead costs lean and mean, but you're not going to be successful if you're spending all of your time just trying to cut costs. Your time is most valuable trying to increase the top line. And then as Jonathan and I were talking, I said, but you know what? I've clipped coupons. I mean, I go to the grocery store and yes, a lot of them are online, but I still have to go on and actually clip them online, right? I have to check a box that goes into an app. And then I carry around this little thing with my 25 cent off, 50 cents off, a dollar off. And it, it just suddenly made me realize, I mean, it's such a little thing, but is my time really best spent trying to clip a bunch of coupons versus spending that same time working on my business? Yeah, absolutely. I've always been anti-loyalty programs because whenever I would do one, it was immediately obvious to me how much mental overhead it added to every transaction. You know, it's like exponentially more work to walk into a store or buy plane tickets or whatever it is. If I'm also factoring in like two or three other multipliers, I'm like, okay, wait a minute. I'm trying to, you know, blah, blah, blah. it gets so complicated. Just like, and then at the end of the day, how much money am I really saving? Like, wouldn't I rather spend my time on, I, I've always felt like this. I would rather spend my time making more money than saving a buck on a latte here and there. And, and that's got pros and cons, absolutely. But it's to the point, which is, well, actually, I'm working on an email right now that is about changing my oil in my car. Everybody's got limited time and resources and I think it's an illusion to draw a big distinction between the time you spend at work and the time you spend at home or like life work balance. Like 
you've got a certain amount of time and and yes, you should shut off and whatnot, but time that you save anywhere is time saved. It's like a good thing. It costs about 45 bucks to get my oil changed. And I, I think about 10 or 15 of that is materials that I would have to pay for anyway. So let's say it's $30 for labor. Uh, for my mechanic, to, it takes him about 15 minutes. So essentially he's making 120 bucks an hour to change oil, which is, it's not rocket science. It's a pretty good hourly rate if you want to look at it like that. So some people might think, oh, that's not fair. Like that's way too much money to get paid to change oil. I'm going to do it myself. But if I was going to do it myself, it would be at least an hour because I don't have the tools. I don't have the skills. I don't have the any place to dispose of the oil. It would be a major problem for me. Major. I'm exaggerating. But it'd be a, it would be super frustrating. I'd probably hurt myself. I, I'd be nervous the car was going to fall on my head. I mean, it would be really uncomfortable. But never mind all that. It's going to take me at least an hour. At least. I'm going to have to go to the store. I'm going to have to find like what kind of oil am I supposed to put in here? And all, all of this stuff. So it's if you want to think in terms of like hours... I'm not really paying him 120 bucks an hour to change my oil. I'm paying myself 30 bucks to save an hour. So I'm not like buying his 15 minutes for $30. I'm buying back an hour of my time plus all the stress and frustration and humiliation. Well, plus the greater likelihood that you're not going to ruin your car by putting in the wrong oil. Yeah, right? let's, I mean, let's pause it that you have to change the oil. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not really optional. So yeah. if you look around in your life for the stuff where you feel like you're you know, especially business stuff, changing your oil is a personal life thing. But if you look around at the things that you do in your business, where you're thinking, oh, I'll just, I'll save the 30 bucks to just do this thing. This gets weird because I don't like talking about time, money as, as the same thing. But the time that you spent doing that silly thing is probably not the best use of your time. And you can probably get someone to do the silly thing for a lot less than you could get someone to do the really hard thing that you're great at. In fact, you probably can't even find someone to do the really hard thing that you're great at. So being stingy about these little things can create this cage around you that, that is what gets you stuck and the way out of it is leverage. Well, that was a long soapbox about oil, but anyway... <laughs> Well, yeah, that, I mean, that ties into what Todd was saying in terms of if you look at a typical day, you're not productive. If your day is eight hours or 10 hours, you're not productive all that time. In fact, you might only be productive, he posits, an hour. By the time you do all the routine things that you have to do and you get to that point where you finally have that golden hour where you're productive, if that's all you get in a day, if you can get an extra hour a day, You've just doubled your productive time. You've just doubled your ability to make a difference in your business. And so, you know, that's the framework that he uses in the book to say, how can I free up, in this case, time? How can I free up some of my productive time so that I can do what I do best that's going to have the biggest impact on my business? And I think one of the things that, that stops a lot of people from doing that is it means you have to stop and you have to invest time that you're not going to get back initially in figuring out what it is that you're doing that you could offload to someone else. And then you have to document it. And that's the part where, you know, some of us just go, Ugh, I don't want to sit there and write a 10 page piece about, you know, how to write a blog post. It's 
completely summed up in in the thought that all self-employed people have had, which is, it'd be faster if I just do it myself. It would take me longer to teach someone how to do it than to just do it. It's like, yeah, the first time, and I'm so guilty of this because you you like browbeat me into getting a VA. And also it was that same conversation that finally got me to pay an editor for the podcast. And like those two things alone, believe me, when those bills come in, paid, paid, pay, pay, pay. Can I pay you more? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's exactly. amazing. It's amazing. And I definitely had the thought like, oh, they won't edit it as well as me. You know, I'm because I've got a music background. I enjoy aud- editing audio, but this is not my hobby. And there are better ways for me to spend my time than editing audio files, whether it's playing with my kids or recording another audio file. You know, I'd rather be recording audio files than editing them. A lot of people could edit them. And sure enough, they do it better than I ever did. So I'm like, what? Like win-win. Yeah. It's a freeing experience when you let go of the crap because they guarantee, and we all have it, there is crap that you're doing every day in your business or your life where you think, oh my God, if I could just let this go, I don't like doing this. I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. And I just think if we can find those things before it gets to that point, it's a lot more fun than being trapped in the corner and you're really, really busy on some big new client or project or course, and then you're doing it when you're crazed. I 100% agree with that. Here's the thing that I think is a little bit more insidious is not giving up the stuff you like doing that's not beneficial. So for me, like editing audio, I thoroughly enjoy it, thoroughly. But that is a waste of my time. And there are other things that I enjoy a lot more. (laughs) And I found that once someone was doing it for me, I didn't really miss it. Because uh, like dropping those files, those raw files into Dropbox and like dusting off my hands is like, (laughs) it's the best feeling ever. Yeah. The reason I bring it up is because I talk to tons of software developers and they all love coding and they feel like nobody can do it better than me. I care more about this client and this project than anybody. And I'm going to write the most pristine technical debt free code uh, ever invented. First of all, that's BS because everybody knows if they come back to any project they've ever written a year later, they're embarrassed by it. It's just natural. (laughs) The second thing is that it's like one, not only are you wrong, but two, that stuff, a lot of that stuff can be outsourced. And to pull it back to Todd, he said something that just that was just like, I was nodding so hard, my neck hurt, where he was talking about writing a book. I get people all the time, oh, should I outsource my book writing? I'm like, what? Click, you know. <laughs> so you have to write it. But he estimated that 80% of the work that goes into a book is editing, formatting, maintaining the files and keeping everything organized and all that stuff. And I'm like, man, he's right. I don't know if it's 80%, but it's a lot. Like a book is a great thing to do if you if you know who to write for and what to write about. But it's a huge undertaking. Mm-hmm. I've certainly thought about getting an editor, but I never thought about it in the sense of leverage. I thought of it more of like increasing the quality. But I was like, man, as soon as he said that, I was like, oh, you're right. Just writing the raw material and having somebody fix all the typos and fix the grammar and slide stuff around. And I mean, there's tons of great editors out there. There are different kinds of editors, too. I mean, you can hand people kind of a, like a brain dump and they can make sense out of it. There's a lot of different things you can do. Now, that costs more to do than somebody who's just going to find typos and fix your grammar. 
but those are all outsourceable. And I, I think the um, example he was using was his blog post or writing generally. And he said, oh, yeah, you know, really what my job is to do the first draft and I can hand off the other parts to that. The other thing I, I sensed from him, I, I sensed it in our in our call, and I certainly got it from the book, is he's he's not a control freak. I mean, he is in the sense that that we all are, where it's he wants his his product, his business to be really powerful and to reflect his beliefs. But once he's gotten that uh, that SOP, the standard operating procedure, written down, it looks like he lets it go. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He said that part of the process is to update the process. So he would come back to it and be like, he didn't even write it. You know, it, mm-hmm. it got written. Mm-hmm. It, gr- it grew there, basically. Yeah. Yeah. It grows with the business that way. And just my small experience with the VA, which again, thank you for talking me into that. It took, it took <laughs> four tries. Beating you into it. Yeah. Beating you into it. Yeah. It took four tries to find somebody. And after the third failure, I was like, forget this. This is a waste. It's not possible. It's a waste of time. You know, blah. It's easier to just do it myself. But once you find someone that's good, I don't forget about it, but so many things happen now by magic. She has like uh, sort of two or three areas of responsibility that I just like, actually, it's more like four. It's like slowly growing. And I'm like, she could just take care of it. She's like crushing it way better than I would have done. It's great. And yes, it was a little bit frustrating to get to the point where I found someone. And presumably at some point she'll, you know, not have enough time for me anymore or whatever, move on and do something else. And that'll be a drag too. But man, in the meantime, it's, it's like uh, compounding interest. It's like it never sleeps. It's back there working for you. <laughs> you know, yes. It's just, and it's, yes. Uh, it's such a great feeling when you look back and you feel like you've done, I've, I've done almost nothing but write a few checks and have a, I mean, brief exchanges in Slack like once a week. And then I look back and like my entire YouTube channel is because of Haley. Like I didn't do hardly any of that except for record the videos. Boom. That's mm-hmm. it. And, and that's all you should do. All the thumbnails, do. all the titles, all the descriptions, sharing on social media, all that stuff. Yeah. That's exactly the way you want it to be. It's that there's a chemistry. And once you find it, then then you do it. But the, the point that Todd made that I think is really important, and maybe we'll get other people over the hump that you got over, is by having that person own creating the SOPs, you're not in trouble. So if if um, Haley gets run over by a bus, you've got a backup system. If she right? gets hit by the lottery. Yeah, yeah, that's probably more likely. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, that's where we get worried. And when I talk to clients about offloading things, a lot of times they'll say, yeah, it's easier to do it myself. But but if you uncover the layers of that a little bit, really what it is, is I don't think I want to be that vulnerable. I don't want all of my data in the hands of someone where if something then happens to them, I'm stuck. I'd just rather not ever let go to begin with. I was that way about the podcast for sure. I was definitely like, here's the cool thing is that as the relationship was established and I was like, oh, wow, I can trust this person to do a bunch of stuff. Like she's good at a lot of things that I'm not good at and don't care to be good at. The cool thing is like in the initial call it the hiring process was like, here's, here's a thing that I would like to offload to someone. But then once, once you have that person there who's kind of available, you think of things that you've never done yet that aren't like your baby or at least this is what happened with me. And I was like, huh, well, 
she kind of like plowed through this first thing so fast. Like, what else could I give her? And, you know, she's like, <laughs> oh, here's, could you do this? Oh, yeah, definitely. Great. Uh, just all sorts of stuff. So, it, and it's that feeling of letting go of ownership doesn't exist with those things because I never did them. So it's very, uh, it's very interesting. Okay. Yeah, that might be an interesting way to start with a VA is that when somebody has something new, like you're creating a course or you're writing a book or you've just started a blog, I mean, maybe that's a, a lower risk way of letting some of those things go. Yeah, I mean, the conventional wisdom is like you should do it a few times so you know what the process is and then you hand it off to the person and they can improve it. But these were things that, that I, I would have never done. I didn't want to learn like how do I get a custom domain on a YouTube channel? Like, I don't care. I just want it. <laughs> you know, I don't want to learn how to do it. I'm not going to keep on yeah. doing it for other people. Just a total waste of time for me, but valuable for her because she probably will do it again. Exactly. She might have her own SOP, even if you didn't have her do one. All right. That's a good yeah, note to self. SOP. So speaking of SOPs, um, I've been reading Todd's book on my phone and there's some bonus downloads from the website that I could not easily read on my phone. But you mentioned that um, there's some really good stuff there. Yeah. Well, part of it, I think it, my fascination with it is he, he did it a little differently than I've done mine, but I, I love the way he did it. And in fact, I think I'm going to incorporate some of his ideas. So he had two in the freebies and one was, I would call it course creation. And it's sort of like how he adds new audio. And it's very complex and very technical to me, kind of looking at it cold. But he, he walks through, I want to say, I looked at it online too. I want to say maybe if you printed it out, it'd be four or five pages worth of copy. But he apparently what he does is he records the audio for a new part of a course. And then he leaves it to his team to do everything after that. So he records the audio. And I think at the bottom of it, he'll write, I don't think he writes tweets. Oh, he writes like the, there's highlights of each one. So he'll, he'll write the copy for that. And then he hands it off. And so then his VA takes it and she's the one that I believe has written all these instructions. It seems like it's in her voice. And they go through this process of this is what the fonts are. This is, this is where we go to get images that go with this. This is how we choose the images and don't do this, but do do this. And it's number one, number two, number three. And she also, which I thought was great, is she explained the why in some of them, which to me, it was like she was talking to someone else who would be doing the work. So the reason why we go here is, the reason why we do it in this order is, the reason you don't want to do this thing first is because this is what happens and you may have to change it later. So it was very uh, user-friendly, even though it was a highly technical document. But the, the part I really, really got me was the second one. And I haven't told you about this ahead of time, Jonathan. It's the podcast scheduling which which I'm glad we made the cut as it turns out because we were missing something that they look for in podcasts. I thought that was fascinating. So they go through, again, the specific steps and, and it's down to here's when in the day that, you know, he wants them to schedule his time, how to book, like he wants to book on the hour. He explains with a couple of examples how to block the time. Um, there's a process and because, you know, most podcast 
hosts ask for certain information, you know, bios, handles, uh, photos, whatever. His other requirement when he's got a list of the things that he wants from a podcast and he wants his people to use the podcast booking system, which, as you know, we don't have a booking system because there's two of us. And so we don't do a joint calendar. But he talks about, you know, why they want to do that and how. And then I love this. They create or update an Excel spreadsheet. And that spreadsheet, of course, is an archive. So they can look and see, oh, here's all the places that Todd's done a podcast. But they also have the contact information. And I'm imagining, it doesn't say it on there, I'm imagining that they're putting this in some kind of a joint network holding space. And so what happens is he's getting ready to get on the podcast. If there's a problem with the connection, he's got the contact info in that spreadsheet. And then get this, they color code the spreadsheet. Now they only use a couple of colors. I think it was yellow. So if, if they've had conversations with a podcast, but it hasn't been scheduled yet, that's a particular color. So he can look at that spreadsheet and go, oh, I see my team's got 10 podcasts in process that we haven't booked yet. I mean, he's designed the system so that he can see things at a, at a glance. And then the detail of this was mind boggling, but I loved it because if you do this as a podcast guest, you can hand off a lot of this stuff to somebody else. So he talks about what subjects he'll speak to, what a podcast has to kind of look and feel like and how they operate in order for him to agree without thinking about it. And he'll also describe where he'll go beyond his parameters. You know, like if it's a really big, well-known podcast and they want to do a pre-interview, as an example, he normally says no pre-interviews. But if it's this kind of a podcast, I'll do it. He, uh, he has uh, things about how he wants to communicate with the podcast how to decide if, if the show is really a good fit. He talks about, you know, show notes and, and backlists. And he, he also, backlinks, excuse me, he also talks about, I just, I love the, the whole pre-interview idea. He's like, no, I don't do pre-interviews. They don't make sense. This is why. Oh, I know what I was going to say. He goes through this explanation of why a podcast is preferable to speaking and so he talks about it. So he actually puts that in the document. And what I like about that is, is that when you, you're you working with another professional, you're not saying, do this, do this, do this, do this, do this, which is a little kind of rote to me. I don't know that I would want to work like that if I were on the other end. But what he does is he tells them why it's important, what the parameters are, and then he leaves the decision-making to them. I mean, it was a work of art. His podcast scheduling SOP. <laughs> yeah, that's definitely adding that to the swipe file. I'm actually going through that now with Haley, where I'm like, you know, hey, you, you know, if you got more hours, per, yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe here's a list of shows that I'd love to get on. I haven't had time to reach out to the hosts. You think you could just take that and run with it? She, she, every once in a while, she'll get back to me with a question. The host wants to know how long you've been in business or something that she didn't know, but it's only happened like two or three times. And I just like get these calendar invites from shows that I've heard of, but I don't, I did nothing, you know, except for say, Hey, could you, could you see if they're taking guests right now? And, and I, so I'm absolutely going to uh, run, not walk to download that and see if there's anything we're missing. I'm sure there are, are some things. That's great. His is kind of designed for the podcast invites are coming in, coming in, coming in, coming in. How do I decide? I, I like your example 
which is maybe where more of our audience is, which is, you know, you want to be on more podcasts. How can you leverage getting that done? Especially if you're the kind that, you know, I don't like selling myself. <laughs> yeah, that um, outreach piece. Yeah. Yeah. Chances are a good VA who's gotten to know you is going to be great at selling you because they see what's great about you. They want you to be successful. And that's my favorite part about her doing the YouTube channel for me because I'm probably twice her age. And when I look at the list of videos, I'm like, I never, ever would have thought to title that in that way. I never would have thought to pull out that graphic. I never would have thought to like do the description like this in a million years. But it's funny because I look at it and I'm like, this looks like a YouTube channel. Like this is what YouTube channels are like. And I'll, But it's so weird because it feels a little bit alien to me too because I didn't write any of it. <laughs> you know, it's all like, like, like word for word. I didn't write it. It's all pulled from what I said, but it's wild the way that someone who's kind of from the audience, it's like a younger, it's mostly male, younger YouTube, but still she's like pulling it out and she's like putting it in a way that is probably way better than anything I would have done, which is so cool. I go back to Todd's, you know, six kinds of leverage and Maybe that's a communications and marketing kind of leverage for you because you wouldn't have thought to do that. I mean, you've got the systems nailed down, but would you automatically think of those things? And and here she is. You're able to leverage her her expertise in that in that way. Mm-hmm. I don't have any SOPs as detailed as what you just described, but having just a and if that sounds overwhelming to people, uh, I just want to say that I've got maybe I call them run books is the same thing. It's like, it's like when I've got some sort of, it's almost like a performance. They're usually recorded, but you know, if I'm going to do a webinar or I'm going to do a group coaching session, or I'm going to record a lesson for the pricing seminar, I've got just a plain text document. I don't share it with anybody. It's just me, but it's a checklist that I go through every time I go to do the thing, because it is a, you know, you're talking like a, a 50 step process there's a step in the middle that's like record the video (laughs) and all of the other 40 or 50 steps are just the last thing I need to be thinking about. And in fact, I'm probably thinking so hard about what I'm going to say in the video that I'll forget all of them or half of them, or I'll do them in the wrong order again, or I'll forget to shut off Slack. And in the middle of the video, I start getting notifications from somebody and it's like, all of those things have happened to me. So I like update the SOP and I'm like, don't forget to shut off Slack. Don't forget to pause Dropbox. Don't forget to lock the door so the guy who delivers the water doesn't come in in the middle. Don't forget to ba 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 And really the only thing of all of that stuff, and, and it's just for me and it's the best because it allows me to just be brain dead about all the brain dead things and not screw anything up. Just go down the list, check, 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 check. Record the video, stop recording check, 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 you know, then like what I'm going to do to upload it. I could at some point just do that step in the middle, record video. <laughs> I mean, I would still need to do the the lead up stuff like lock the door and, and shut off Slack. But, but everything after that point, I could put it in Dropbox and say like, okay, here's the video. These, this is what you do uh, after that. And, but even though I'm not doing that, it is like a dream to be able to to just think about the thing that requires my really serious executive focus and not really have to worry about all of the the minutia and the details of executing all the stuff around the important piece. Yeah. I mean, you said it, it's like a dream. 
It's magic when you do it. And it's, I think a lot of us just resist. I mean, I, I do the same thing you do, especially for recording, Jonathan, because I just, I forget those things. I don't want to give my brain space up to remembering to put a note on the door that recording in session, please don't knock or ring the bell, right? It's, I mean, I, I forget that half the time if I don't have a list to look at. But I just, I really like this concept of taking it to the next step. I mean, so for me, I've got SOPs on how to post the blog in WordPress, uh, what happens in social media after the blog post. I have the same thing with the podcast. Um, how to uh, create the the thing in ConvertKit, which is my email uh, service. How to test it. What color the links should be. What are the fonts? I mean, I have all I have all those things, and so those that always makes it easier to hand off to somebody. What's harder? Once you create that, if you don't hand it off, is making sure that you update it. Because I guarantee you, at least for me, that's going to be the last thing I'm going to pay attention to. Oh, wait, ConvertKit changed this little thing. So now we have to do this. I am not going to go back and change that in a document. But somebody whose brain is wired for administration, that's the first thing they'd think of to do. Mm. So I, I find that fixes itself for me because I have to read, and it, and it would in your scenario too, because the person who's following it is going to find out that something changed and they'll flip a couple of steps or they'll update a step because they're reading it right then. It's not like they have to remember to go find it and like, oh, I'll do that later. And then they forget. Like I'm, when it's just me, I'm like going down the list and, you know, I just got a new laptop. I've got some new applications on it. And as I go through the thing, it's like, do, 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 do. oh yeah, that's right. I stopped using this and now I'm using that. So modify it. It's, it's super easy. I'm always looking for like more, there's so many more places I could do it. Before I did the first one. And the reason I did the first one is because I have this ongoing every other week group coaching session. It's like office hours, basically, where I do this live. It's like a private webinar, but it's live and people are in it. It's like, and people are just like an open-ended thing. So like, as far as I'm concerned, like to infinity, every other week, I'm going to have to be doing this. So that was what, because of the, the fact that it was air quotes, never going to go away. I was like, ah, I might as well write this stuff down. I've screwed it up enough times now, make it made a silly, you know, forget to lock the door type of error that I might as well write it down because it's never going to go away. But then once I did that, I was like, ooh, I'm going to do this for more stuff. And it, originally it was around anything that involved the camera, like recording video stuff because I was new at that and wasn't that great at it. So recording lessons for TPS, which does go away once they're recorded, they're recorded. But there were, you know, 50 of them. It ended up being more like 60. So that's a lot. And I was like, oh, I'm going to I'm going to make a similar list for this. It just made it so much easier. And now when I do have to go back and re-record certain videos or things change or I need to update stuff, then I've just pull out the list. Here's what you do. I even have like what the background look like, looks like. So the, is there some continuity in case I have to insert a video in between, in between 45 and 46, I'll still have the black t-shirt in the same background and it, it'll have some continuity to it and not just look like I phoned it in from space. <laughs> like, oh, you by the way. You could wear blue. It would be okay. <laughs> <laughs> there is one video out of the 60 or so where I did wear a blue shirt in, instead of black and nobody's mentioned it. I'm wondering if anyone's ever going to pick up on that one. <laughs> That's one of those things where what our eye is drawn to in a video when it's of ourselves, like nobody else sees. I mean, oh, yeah. it's just it's just really funny. So what's the advice? Implicit, I think, is that we're saying 
that you can increase your impact, get back time, potentially make more money, or at least clear out a bunch of headspace. I just feel like when, when I've got too much going on, it feels like my head is like in a swarm of bees and, and you know, I just need to swat some of those bees away. And simple stuff, like what do you do? Do you have anything that you do every week or everything that you do every day or anything that you do every two weeks or monthly? And just next time you do it, like you don't have to think about it in advance. Just say to yourself, next time I do it, as I do it, I'm going to write down the steps and I'm going to leave it on my desktop or someplace where I don't have to search and search and search to find it the next time. And then next time go through it and get the feeling, that dream feeling of like, wow, I don't have to like, I don't have to think about this. And then, and then what do you know, before you know it, you might have something that you could just hand off to someone else and be like, Hey, could you just do this for me and let me know if you have any questions? Yeah. That's the key is that I think that that's a great way to start. I think the other way to start is what Todd had said, which is just assume that you can delegate everything until you prove that it can't be. And so you just like when you're doing something that you really don't like to do, to me, that's the motivation is I want to get the, the junk, the crap off my desk. So what are you doing that drives you insane? And chances are, it's not going to be the thing that you're really good at, right? It's not going to be that gift you have for the world because that's the thing you enjoy doing that you're passionate about. This is the, the other stuff. And especially if you're in that, you're on that hamster wheel where you feel like you don't have any time and you can't make any more money. That's, that's when you have to invest in yourself and take, take an hour a week. Take one hour a week and figure out one task, you know, write it down as you do it and figure out something that you can offload. Because I guarantee you're not spending all of your time on client work. Oh, no. Yeah, no way. Even when I was billing by the hour, you wouldn't, you didn't have like even 30 billable hours was a good week. Yeah, I was going to say 20 is kind of the the average. If you're trying to figure out if you can, you know, make it in a consulting business, you got to, you're going to bill about 20 hours a week. Right. I don't know if Todd said this or not, or it was in the book, or if I just thought it, but it's like when you're at that point where you feel like you can't afford it, that's when you need to do it. Yes. Right. It's like this paradox and people said it to me over and over and over for years. I mean, I've been in business for myself since 2006. So 13 years, I've had a VA for like six months and it's, it's like kicking myself, you know, it's like, (laughs) And I had the exact same thought, which was like, uh, it'll be faster for me to just do it myself or can't afford it right now when I can afford it, I'll do it. No, it's the exact opposite, exact opposite. And I'm like Mr. Anti-employees too. Like, I don't want to be managing anyone. It's like when we had Paul Jarvis on and he's like, I, I pay, you know, for the best people because then I don't have to manage them. Yes. So yes. he gets like partners and contract, what, I don't know what he calls them, consultants or contractors or contractors. freelancers that are really, really good, pays a premium for them. And then he could just trust him to run with it and do a better job than he ever would have. Yeah, well, and we talked about that because a lot of times people will say, oh, a VA is so expensive. So then they they do the race to the bottom and they find the person who's the cheapest, who, guess what? That person's probably not going to be the best. Yeah, sometimes they might have a skill set and you get lucky, but on average, that's not going to work for you. You've got to invest in getting the right person and you may have to go through three or four like you did. I mean, I I went through one 
before I found Kathy. Uh, so I, I, we averaged out probably at two between us, right? That's probably <laughs> what you might expect. It's going to take a couple of people until you, until you get it right, because you're also training yourself as you're doing this. And a good VA in particular is going to train you to stop being your own worst enemy. I mean, mine will stand up, and I love this about her, and she'll say, Rochelle, you do not need to be doing that. Give that to me. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, totally. Yeah, yeah. I just want to encourage people to write this stuff down. I know it feels it feels weird. And the first time you're doing it, you're like, oh, I can't believe I'm doing this. But I'm telling you that moment, the moment you get something written down that you can then hand off, that's the beginning of freedom. Yeah, you took the words right out of my mouth. Even if you, Even if you say to yourself, I'm just writing this down for myself. I'll worry about maybe handing off later, maybe. But even if you just write it down for yourself and then and then use it each time, you're already ahead of the game because the cognitive load of remembering all that stuff will be lifted from you and you can just execute, focus on the really important piece that only you could do. And then I think, at least it happened for me, like it gives you confidence to be like, oh, I actually could. It distinguishes the important pieces from the not important pieces Instead of just thinking, I have to record a, a, a TPS lesson today, and it's just like this big thing that's important, and it feels like every step of it's important because to me it's all or was all one thing. But when I separate it out and be like, oh wow, there's one step out of fifty that's the only one I have to do. <laughs> like wow, okay, yeah, it's really eye opening. Yeah, yeah, got to do it. And we and and even after you do it, I mean, I think in my own case, there's a bunch of things that that I have codified that I've handed off. There's more. There's so much more, and it's one of the things I loved about Todd's course creation piece because I didn't do that when I created my course. I did all those pieces. I I did them for when I recorded, but after that, I didn't write down what happened after that. And so every time I would, you know, even think about doing another one, I'd go, oh, I don't remember what I have to do for this. So all of a sudden it gets harder to do the right thing for your business than it really should be. Yeah. You always think you're going to remember it. Like I I used to always Uh, think, oh, I'll remember that I need to flip flop these two videos, like videos 43 and 44, you know, next time I run uh, the seminar, like, no, you're not. (laughs) No, you are not. And, and the worst part is, even if you did remember, at least what happened to me, I, I used Thinkific as a platform, and they'd change the rules. They would change a procedure, they'd change a section, and I had stuff custom-coded, and you never know. In fact, they blew one up right in the middle of a course enrollment, like literally blew my course up. And like, seriously? Like, you couldn't have known that this change was going to impact custom-coded stuff? You just don't know. That's why you got to write it down. It's, it's, I know it sounds so incredibly boring, but the payoff is, is it's geometric. It's big. It's big. Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. yeah. Great. Well, I mean, like that's the metaphor, like you got to build the lever, like give me a lever long enough and I can move the place to stand and I can move the world. And it's, it's true. You do have to build the lever though. You can't just find it laying around. So, you know, and it takes a little bit of effort, but once it's built, and, you know, you maintain a little bit, but boom, you can like the smaller and smaller effort from you produces bigger and bigger results. Yes. Think think email sequences. That's a really easy thing to think about with leverage. It take, seems like it takes forever to get it 
laid out and thought through and the programming of it. When I say programming, I just mean the thinking of, you know, step one, step two, step three. But once it's up, it's bringing people to your door. Yep. Cool. All right. I feel like we've, uh, yeah, we <laughs> we've beaten, that, <laughs> beaten that horse to death. <laughs> uh, cool. All right, folks. Well, that's it for this week. I'm Jonathan Stark. And I'm Rochelle Moulton. And we hope you join us again next time for the Business of Authority. Bye. Bye-bye.